Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of it's been so long since we recorded that I forgot, but I think it was female characters, fantasy books with a strong female lead and Harry Potter. That was definitely it. I'm Nicole, also love Harry Potter and any book with even a smidgen of time travel in any way. We made it through. Take one. <laughs> Not well, bad. Listeners, this won't mean much to you because it's much delayed now on our re- release schedule, but it has been a long time since yeah. we recorded. Chelsea had to get married, and that was like a lot of stuff when I was in the wedding, and it was really fun and amazing. And then we stupidly passed the sh- same champagne bottle around the wedding, and everybody and got we sick. we all got sick. And then Chelsea got sick again. And so we've been reading this book that we're going to talk about today for a long time. Time, but yes. we're excited to talk so about it if finally. we sound a little rusty forgive us <laughs> um in the meantime though since it's been so long what have you been reading lately i mean i've read a lot most recently i read a book called rich people problems um, by kevin kwan which is the third book like crazy rich agents and then rich china, china rich girlfriend and then this one um if you haven't read the Crazy Rich Asians book. I like the movie is really good, but the book mm-hmm. is better because they changed the ending in the movie, which I don't know how they're going to make the second movie because it screws up the series, oh. <laughs> the end of the movie. Um, but the third, I feel like if they make the second movie, it's they're going to skip over the second book because the second book is kind of about more peripheral characters, and then it all kind of comes together in the third book, and it's really good. It's fluffy, but it is like. It's not often we get to read about Asian characters that are powerful and sexy and like and it's it feels like this is a good thing that this is out there. Like even if it <coughs> excuse me, it is like just kind of a romantic comedy book, yeah. but it feels important, which which is like that's a great combination to get to read something that's fun and light, but also feels this is an important thing that I'm reading. What a great combination. So I definitely recommend that uh, so far trilogy. Perfect. What about you? Um, I have mostly been listening to audiobooks. I've discovered the plus side of my long commute that I can listen to literally two audiobooks a week. That's intense. Yeah. So often I can't even listen to it before it's due back at the library. Yeah. Because I listen on 1.5 speed, which helps out a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, But also, yeah, I have like... 12 to 13 hours of commute every week and so that is 12 to 13 hours of listening time yeah um but i recently listened to the whole series called the 100 by cass morgan and it's a dystopian post-apocalyptic um young adult series about if there was a nuclear war on earth and people only escaped by surviving in bunkers or going up in space and then what is, happens when is this re- what that is that tv series is based on it right? yeah i haven't watched the tv series what but. happens when they return to earth and there's a tv series which i really liked the first season it was just like fun trash tv um based off of it so i read all four books first one's really great and then they just like kind of slowly get worse like they all were okay um and they were nice to listen to the narration on the audiobook was good um but they definitely weren't like world-class literature uh, <laughs> that's good for an audiobook i feel like an audiobook either for me needs to either be something i've read before and i'm just kind of listening or it needs to be really light if it's like a dense descriptive book it's not easy to listen to an audiobook no. though i have done some podcast books that way especially when i was like painting my new place i did the house of seven gables yeah. and the one about the check 
Oh, um, uh, uh, but, uh, Some, Barset. Yeah. Chronicles, Chronicles of Barset. Barset. <laughs> um, like that, which is like, was like a thousand page book, but otherwise I can't like do more I serious books on audio. I can do serious ones on audio, but I can't listen to them sped up. So I have to listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it has to be light and fluffy to speed it up because otherwise you just can't follow. Because <laughs> you're not listening to it for the quality of the writing, per yeah. se. <laughs> yeah. So that is what I've been listening to lately. So this week we're talking about book 43. There's a bug on this piece of paper. Okay. We're <laughs> almost halfway to 100 when we get to get a tattoo. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Chelsea and I agreed. I don't think we've said this on the podcast before that at 100 books, one-tenth of the goal, we're going to get book-related tattoos together, which will be our second tattoo that we've got together. Um, but I've already picked it out. So <laughs> at least mine. You can, you know, do what you want. <laughs> I'm glad I can mark my body with what I like. Yeah. <laughs> It would be crazy if we were like, we could pick for each other. That would be I like, would actually probably trust you to do it. I mean, I think I would too, but I already have one picked out. So. <laughs> um, all right. We're on topic. We're on topic. Book 43 um, is called Death and the Dervish. It was written by Mesa Sel- Selimovic mm-hmm. uh, and was published originally in 1966 in the former Yugos- Yugoslavia. Um, Chelsea, if you could describe this book in one word, what is your word? I said that my one word was intention. And my word was futile. Uh, If we were to give this book a quick plot summary, we would say a Muslim monk grapples with how to live ethically in an empire after his brother is seized and killed by the state. All right, we are entering our spoiler portion of the program. If you would like to read this 40-year-old novel, 50-year-old novel, novel. um, please come back at the time of the show notes um, if you don't want to be spoiled about the plot. Yes, and our extra segment at the end is going to be a good one, so you should come back. So you want to come back for it. Okay, first thing I have to say about this book is that last week but in our reality eight weeks ago yeah. um last episode when we just only knew the title death in the dervish we said oh i bet it's british dervish sounds like a funny british word and here's the thing that i learned dervish is a religious order uh in islam and it's the title of like what the equivalent i would get, seems like from the book would be like a monk but yeah. in, in their own um, practices and so the fact that we associate that with the british is totally because of colonialism and racism so i apologize for my ignorance yeah uh, in well, assuming and, that yeah. um, which is just like it's an output of the imperialistic system that we live in and dervish the the sect of muslim um, faith that he's in like the dervish does have something to do with dance right because that 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 order religious order would like in prayer like spin around and like move erratically and british colonialists made fun of it and that's and so how we learned the word name for crazy dancing yeah and so that's how we totally... learned the word as americans yeah so already i feel like this book has taught us something important that about we did not know we did not know uh unintentional racism in your everyday language yeah because dervish is a word i use all the time but and maybe I know, you would after reading this yeah. book. But it's um, that is like lots of things we say in everyday languages are really microaggressions that we've like inherited. No, so. recently I um, the tangent, but that's okay because that's all we do here. Um, I recently said something. Uh, gosh, what was I saying? Oh, I I was talking about something that happened at work, and without even thinking, I said I got Shanghai'd into it, like because yeah. that's just. And I was like. 
I had to like stop myself and be like, oh my God, that was terrible and racist and unintentional. I'm so sorry. And it was with a friend who like wouldn't have called me on it, but yeah. I personally felt so bad that that was a part of yeah, it's just in your language, language, right? And that's your go-to phrase for the, the meaning that you're going through. Yeah, going for. and so it was just so interesting that like when those, I feel like reading these books, I've started to pick up on them more. And like, I was like, oh my God, the second it started to come out of my mouth, I was like, that's racist. Okay, that's something that people say all the time and I don't even. Yeah, that's like, I've said this on the podcast before, but that I learned that saying something is grandfathered in Mm -hmm. is a reference that like, well, if your grandfather couldn't vote because you were black, you can't vote. And also another one that I catch a lot is saying reneged. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not good. Not a good, but not a good, back, not a good history behind that, like that yeah. language. Yeah. So this is why reading is important. A uh, small plug. Uh, it's helping plug us be better, every book. better human beings. Um, so what do we want to talk about this book, Death and the Dervish? So um, one of the things I want to talk about for this book is how um, it was cyclical, like many of our novels that we're yeah. starting to see. Um which I think is why you chose your word futile. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to explain that, then I'll talk about my word too. Yeah. So in this that. book, the main guy whose name I don't know because it was a foreign name that didn't stick in my memory, which for that which I apologize. Um, but so the dervish, mm-hmm. he, um, you know, he's in this religious order and he finds out. And so this book, it was published in the 60s in the former Yugoslavia, but it was set in this like 16th or 17th century Ottoman Empire in what is now Bosnia. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's in this empire and it was published behind the Iron Curtain. Um, which I want to talk about more about that later. But the so the guy and he hears that his brother has been taken to the fortress um, and he like is try- he wants to get him released. Uh, but then it, and it turns out that before he even knew that his brother had been arrested, perhaps for being in some sort of rebel group against the empire, his brother has been killed. And then he. Um, you know, obviously that's like a huge crisis for him. He's mm-hmm. struggling with like his religion, with his with living in this empire. And then he uses his connections um to basically like uh blackmail his way into like getting revenge for his brother's death that gets some people killed and gets him the position of lead judge for Mm -hmm. his village um basically getting the person killed who condemned his brother uh and then he's in that position of power uh and then his best friend uh, someone from a foreign country is there speaking badly against the regime and the government tells him, the judge, that he should arrest that person. And then his best friend helps that person escape mm-hmm. before he can be arrested. So he really did nothing. But then he gets accused of helping that foreigner escape. And um, and then the like the last page of the book is him waiting for his own execution for betraying the state. And so... I said futile because he a his like brother was already dead all but the first half of the book when he's trying to get him released and then what he does to get revenge only in fact leads to his own death basically on the same even though he was innocent of the specific crime for which he was accused uh, helping this person escape just like his brother was innocent mm-hmm. and maybe he never was even associated with the rebels yeah. uh, and so it's this like it's a it's a cycle where no matter what he does he ends up dead at the end. Um, and I put intentions as my word because I thought um, not just this book, but many of our books, um, more and more I'm thinking like how your intention behind your actions don't necessarily matter. It's mm-hmm. the impact and the outcome of your actions. Yeah. And because this book was so cyclical, 
yes, the whole first half of the novel, he had these very um, noble intentions of saving his brother. And he was really wrestling with what that meant in this like regime. And then in the second half of the novel where he's kind of getting a little bit corrupted by what's been going on around him. I still feel like he didn't have bad intent. Like he thought he was like, he thought he was avenging. Yeah. He like thought the intention he was wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, but the result of those actions is yeah. what really has the impact. Yeah. And I read a lot of like reviews of this book before it started. Cause I could tell that it was going to be, dense and like in a context that I didn't know a lot about so Mm -hmm. I wanted to get some background information and a lot of those reviews and articles about it described this character as like just always conflicted always in an ethical quandary and never getting anywhere never making a decision never accomplishing anything and that does like like Mm -hmm. he doesn't grow morally no. throughout the plot that's not what the story is about he, it's, not, it's, it's not about the main character being on a moral arc to crime and punishment totally similar yeah. which this book is related to a lot when you read reviews and things people mm-hmm. relate this to crime and punishment and oh god there was another book that we haven't read but i'm pretty sure is on the list but i can't think of it right now um that they they say it's a mesh of those two books Hmm, interesting and i feel like just like crime punishment it took us quite a while to get through Mm -hmm. it but i feel like it was worthwhile now that i finished it just like crime yeah i didn't hate it yeah just it was it was dense because there was lots of cultural context that was um unknown to me lots of quotes from the quran um and then i read in those like articles that many of the quotes of the quran were misquoted in the book which is obviously intentional and the original audience would have known that uh-huh, upon reading now. uh upon reading it in the in the 60s in bosnia because they have i presumably a lot people are muslim there because of that ottoman yeah. like heritage uh yeah and so it was a slow read, but in the same in the same way as when we read Crime Punishment, it took us three times as long as we thought. Afterwards, I was like, wow, there's like a lot of meat in this book that could make you think. And it was like, I noticed about this book, like I couldn't read this on my lunch break. Like I needed to yeah. sit down for like no less than an hour at a time and really concentrate. But then in, even though it's a translation, the writing is beautiful. Oh, yeah. This yeah. book is well written. Yeah, it's beautiful, which is rare to say for a translation, right? Because sometimes you lose some of the lyricalness of the language. But I think even in English, it sounds good. Like, yeah, it I think well. it was well translated. Yeah. The person who translated it did a really good job of moving the flow over to the English language as well. Yeah. Um, I also experienced that this is not a book that you can just sit down and read. This book literally... <laughs> And it wasn't because I hated it. Like, I want to emphasize, like, this was a solid middle-of-the-road podcast book for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just made me fall asleep. <laughs> well, you also were, like, really sick during the last, like, two I weeks. I have been sick. But, like, it just, was like, so funny. Enough. I sat down to read this book so many times, and I'd read, like, ten pages, and then I would just pass out. And I would be like, <laughs> God, I need to read this book. And it would literally be, like, 7.30 at night. So there was no reason for me to be sleeping, but I apparently really needed the sleep. So got some good night's sleep from this book that I didn't hate. I don't know why Gormenghast couldn't put me to sleep. <laughs> that was so bad that you were awake being angry at it. <laughs> True fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, this book, I, I feel like similar to Kind of Punishment, I had to be like, okay, you're going to read 50 pages tonight. And then I'd read until the 50s are done and I'd put it down no matter where I was. But it was still valuable. 
it yeah there's a lot of parallels the thing i most wanted to talk about this book is so okay so this book was published in the 60s in the former yugoslavia behind the iron curtain and apparently it was wildly popular spoiler alert communism yeah (laughs) because every book is secretly about communism it was written in the 20th century and and maybe even in the 19th century um and so it was wildly popular apparently like people loved it everybody Uh read it and then it didn't get translated into english until like 10 years ago and so now it's reaching an English-speaking audience to, to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it really made me think a lot about Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light, which we read for the podcast, which was um, came out of the Czech Republic mm-hmm. and was about the Velvet Revolution. And it was about a guy in the communist state of the Czech Republic um, as that was falling, like the state was falling, and he had been working in the state media, and how was he, and like, basically that book was about how do you live under oppressive regime, and do you, do you have a moral obligation to sacrifice your life mm-hmm. for, for good, or do you just put your head down and survive and try to see, hope for what comes next? Doesn't mean that you agree with the regime, but maybe you just have to survive it. And this book, if it was anything like, if it, the Behind the Iron Curtain in the Different Countries was similar, which I don't know. I didn't, yeah. I didn't live, live that. But this book made me think, this book, it makes sense to me why this book was popular behind the Iron Curtain. Because it was basically about a guy who was living under an empire, under a repressive mm-hmm. regime, and he tried to do everything right, and his brother still was killed, and then he was killed. Yeah. And every effort... He was very torn about every effort he made to rebel against the regime, and it was everything he did was futile. And it came for naught. And it came for naught. And I feel like this. I mean, this is a big assumption because it's not my life experience. But this book, if I live behind the iron curtain, it would make me feel comforted that it was okay for me to just put my head mm-hmm. down and survive it, and you know, help, hope my children well, have and, see better days, kind of thing. And that the tiny things that you do are enough. Because he yeah. did do a few little things to help people, and he never knew if they made a difference, but he felt better that he was doing tiny things. Yeah. He felt a lot more confident in his tiny choices. Yeah. And I think that this, like, this book, like, says more about communist Yugoslavia than it does about 17th century Ottoman oh, Empire. Yeah. Like, it's a direct allegory mm-hmm. or, you know... Um, and I think that's what makes it really interesting as a historical piece today coming from the West, right? Like it, because, because of the way the Cold War worked and because of media, we don't have a lot of stories about that time that are written by an internal voice that lived behind the Iron Curtain versus a Western voice talking about it 30 years later, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I like could not stop thinking about Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light and how this book feels like an answer to that book. And they both came out. That Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light came out after the Iron Curtain had yes. fallen, right? Because uh, it was after, this book came out before. Yeah. But presumably people in the Czech public might have read this book before in the 60s. Yeah. yeah the author of that book might have read this book. I'd be interested crazy. to see if there are any like reviews like that touch on that by people who are from the Czech Republic. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Knows, That'd be yeah. interesting to read impressions of that. Yeah. There's one passage that I marked. Oh, maybe I lost my page. Also, at some point in this book, they said screwed up, by the way, guys. I like was reading and reading, reading, and I was like, they just said screwed up. <laughs> that is a slip in their translation. <laughs> I don't think anybody was saying screwed up in the 1800s. Probably. 1600s. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I'm sorry. Just random side note while you were looking through the book, it reminded yeah. me of the one thing that I was like, what? 
Yeah. So to <gasps> sum this up, there's one passage where the main character's best friend is talking about people in Bosnia in the mm-hmm. 1700s, and he says, um, we're the most complicated people on the face of the earth. Not on anyone else has history played the kind of joke it's played on us. Until yesterday, we were we were what we want to forget today, but we haven't become anything else. We've stopped halfway on the path, dumbfounded. We have nowhere to go anymore. We've been torn away from our roots, but haven't become a part of anything else. That's totally an allegory for communism. Yes. <laughs> so that's basically what I wanted to say during this episode. Um, and I feel like for an oppressed people mm-hmm. like this book would feel really personal you yeah know? yeah I um I like when a book like this that we know is going to be dense ends up being worth it yeah, absolutely yeah um because I think that sometimes in the podcast we get a little lost in those really bad books where we're like god this didn't even have a point and it was terrible to read yeah but, and this book has a point on like two levels, right? Like mm-hmm. the history that's set in and the like 20th century history and which is yeah, it's And good. it's a nice it also has kind of a nice counterpoint to um crime and punishment in the respect that that like I felt like it did a lot of internal like thinking and internal What's the word I'm looking for? Um introspection. But introspection, but, like, tortured introspection, like, mm-hmm. um, in two different centuries, writing about that kind of idea. But then the feeling I got from both was the futility. Yeah. Like, so it was interesting because it's, like, two counterpoints of 100 years apart, books that came to the same conclusion and had the, even though their messages were different, even though their, like, actual, like, context, like, the communist stuff was kind of different, like... They had similar tones and similar, similar like overall feelings in the yeah. book. Yeah, this is like this book is a reason that like lists that like the one thousand one books to read before you die are important because they're written by critics, which you know they have have different picking criteria than mm-hmm. your average reader who's reading for pleasure. But they bring to your attention books like this that when you never you would never come across this in your average experience but it has meaning and mm-hmm. it's like important in the history of the world yeah. which is yeah yeah so yeah um there was a quote in here that I was like this has to go in my quote book um I just want to share that uh, unrelated <laughs> uh digging one oneself in marks the real beginning of old age because a man is young as long as he isn't afraid to make new beginnings ooh i like that right so good there was also a section that, I, you know, always on the podcast, we every like third episode or so, we end up on this tangent about like, this is why reading is important. And there's a section there's a section in this book when they were talking about the Quran um, that I feel like carries that same sentiment um, about story. And it says, uh, we are not aware of it, but it is everything to us. It enable us enables us to live and breathe, keeps us upright, and gives us its own meaning to everything in our lives. Those processions of beautiful words about things I always knew always lulled me in a strange way. In this familiar circle in which I moved, I felt secure, safe from any traps that men and the world might set for me. Ooh, I like that, too. Yeah, yeah. the writing is really good. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, it translated well, which I feel like, 
kind of leads into our extra segment. So maybe we should talk about whether we would think the book belongs oh, yeah. on the list. You know, all this discussion and I haven't even decided <laughs> if it should go on the list. So the question is, do we think this is a book that your every reader should read before they die? Um, which we've put books on our list for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. Um then this is a tough one for me because I feel torn because I feel like it did take us a long time to read it because it's not it's not super accessible. But when you read it, it's very worthwhile. Well, and I'm really torn because I feel like it's a nice counterstroke to some of the other books we've read. Yeah, like if we're if like we're, if, ties, if our list is meant to be like to tell a bigger story as a unit, it ties into it ties the narrative. In. It ties into our narrative. So like yeah. my inclination is to put it on the list because it ties into the narrative, but does it really stand the test of? That for me, I'm not sure. But everyone should read it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, are we going to read something else in the, we're only 40, this is only book 43. God, it seems like it's been forever that we've been doing this. And then not at all at the same time. Yeah. We're we're what, a year and a half into a 40 year journey. (laughs) I hope you're in for the long haul. You know, even if we never get lots of listeners, side note, our listeners. (laughs) Thank you for being our listeners. love that we're making a 40 year, like life diary for our children <laughs> it will i feel like it will be really precious that our grandchildren will be like listen to our grand listen to this grandma when she was 30 like you yeah. know like that's i mean special. jeremy's been on an episode too grandpa will be on there for my kids yeah it'll be yeah it'll be i feel like it'll be special to have okay side I, sorry side, side note over. <laughs> this is a really side notey episode but it's just because we haven't recorded in a long time yeah um okay do you know your vote i do uh oh man this is gonna be like a real like you've asked me and now i'm gonna decide in the moment okay. kind of vote one, one two, two three, three yes <laughs> because i do f- yeah i feel like it ties into our vote and i feel like when our list becomes longer i want to make like a these are our top 10 these are mm-hmm. our like 20th century books these are our like to yeah. tell like a certain story um because, i think it tells the story because i think yeah i think this book tells the story of a certain type of book that is a book you should read and there might there might be a book that is more accessible than this mm-hmm. one because even this, like it's only by a one publisher and it's not easy to get in the U S um, like we, we had, you would yeah. have had to buy this online kind of thing. Um, but I don't, but, but I think, so maybe there'll be a book that replaces this for me, but for now I think it's the best book we That's, have in this. I way. think I'm putting it on the list cause I don't want to risk missing out on this part of the story. Mm-hmm. If there's not something yeah. better. Yeah, totally. So yeah. So, so for now, until we review at every 20 books we review to see if we still our choices still stand up and we make cuts and additions. So it is going on our so list. So at book 60, we will that will be our next review and we will see what holds holds stands the test of time. So um why I paused us to do our vote is because our second section today is about an article which I'm going to link in our description notes if you want to read it yourself um that is about translation of novels yes so this is an um an article from vulture uh, and and it came out on may 7th 2019 and it's called will translated fiction ever really break through so summary of this article is that um in the United States, not that it usually the average time for a book to be translated into English, if it wasn't originally written, that is is about ten years, mm-hmm. so like quite a long time. And if you think that in the nations in the world, if say 150 other non English speaking countries have active publishing industries, there's probably you know hundreds of books every year that mm-hmm. are of equal quality to the books we get in English speaking countries um, that we're not getting 
at all yeah. are made for years. And that only 3% of works in the United States each year are translated works that come to an American audience. Um, and the book is kind of saying, like, the article is kind of saying, like, why is that? Is it because um, people assume um, Americans don't want to read translate things? Or is it true that we're not reading and that actually statistically – American publishing industry is publishing more books per year than ever before. There is a market mm-hmm. for literature in this country, but still only a small percentage of it because they're not guaranteed hits and the publishing industry still has to be to make money. Yeah. Um, because just like everything in this country, it's about capitalism. <laughs> and um, and so if you're the kind of person that believes humanity is at its best when cultures communicate, what are we losing By about translating? translating? So um, talk to me about translated literature, Chelsea. What are your feelings? So I actually have really enjoyed that we've read a lot of translated works because I think that um, it's given us a much clearer picture of other cultures. I think that someone, someone for the majority of the time who is reading a book about a place in English while not living in that place is not writing a true picture of that country. Yeah. Um, and so I think that translated literature is really important because it can capture what a culture is actually feeling and experiencing at a time. I do think that one of the weaknesses of our translated literature is that not all translated books are translated well. Yeah. I think that you're right. Like you're right. Like in the same way that I don't want to read a book that a white person wrote about slavery in times of slavery. Like it's important to hear indigenous voices Mm -hmm. um, telling their own story because the fact that we have lots of, Western writers who write books set and about other countries that aren't in the West is just like a byproduct of colonialism that lingers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting those books that are written by indigenous people to market in a Western world is super yeah. important. Um, and I love the like that we were reading translated books for the podcast. Have you read any translated books in the last year that weren't the ones for the podcast? Because I feel like I've read... I can think of one that I read and it was a byproduct of the podcast where I was looking for another Turkish book that would be more accessible because we read that one for the podcast. That was really hard to read for us. Um. But not many, you know, like, like, and so which makes me think that uh, for before the podcast, I bet I wasn't reading very much translated literature and that the books that I most often think of of classics are originally in English books, which is a flaw, right? A flaw well, in, my yeah. reading, in my reading life. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't think I do. Part of that now is because I don't choose serious literature outside of our podcast books. Right. But even when I was choosing serious literature, I don't think I went to translated works very often. Um, well, if you think that it's only 3% of the books, there's just not a lot to choose from. No. And I think it's interesting because... It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy of a narrative then that we you don't have a lot of choices. So you're less mm-hmm. likely to have something that's in your wheelhouse that you want to read. So mm-hmm. then you don't read those books. So then they're not getting read as often. So publishers aren't feeling like they should publish them. And it's like this like. Yeah, because maybe Americans would read more translated literature if they were marketed in the same way American books are marketed like, to American I'm sure, audience. And I'm sure like smut literature in French is just as good as smut literature originally written in english but those things aren't getting translated um so of course the market isn't as big because the biggest markets in american publishing are romance 
and and like crime novels and crime novels yeah and so if we're not publishing if we're already only translating three percent yeah so you're already only translating like the best of the best the award winners the really serious fiction you're already narrowing your audience a lot because not everybody reaches for those yeah and so it's again it's one of those like domino effect yeah things where as a byproduct of um english being this language that has been not owned but like had by well, globe globalized globalized guess, yeah. by like all those like conquering yeah nations like not for really, good reasons not yeah, yeah not because of that it's like created this culture where it's hard to have access yeah. to books written by other in other languages yeah and i think it even goes like deeper than that that like our media is very like we don't get a lot of international news right no nope. america like tv news in america does not concentrate on international things super rarely and and if they and then so we're fed in school which like school curriculum is all propaganda right to raise the kind of citizens the government thinks that it wants uh-huh. and uh in the news like we're taught to believe in american exceptionalism and we absorb that and so and then also because you like you want to read stories that you identify with mm-hmm. you read american literature you read american authors and it's like and usually and maybe even just like american white authors because that's like the majority yeah. of the people who get published even still and so you just like I have to seek out authors of color, you have to you would have to really make an effort to seek out translated work. Um, and I, and it's unlikely you might not even think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Until and after I read this article, I like Googled like, you know, best recent translated fiction. And I put a ton of books on my TBR because I was like, oh, I want I want there to be a demand for these books because yeah. because I do think it's important that humanity is at its best when cultures communicate. And I think I- literature is an important way for that to happen. I think similarly to how this is going to sound like a weird comparison, but similarly to how I make a conscious effort to compost and recycle and Mm -hmm. do all those things that I think are good for our world. I think it's important to make a conscious effort with the media, with the books, with the TV, with the everything that you consume to make a conscious effort to be not just going to same but also reaching for cultures that you feel are other because then that will make them not educated you about them yeah yeah and finding the right thing that's going to not be a stereotype and, yeah. yeah yeah and um i think that that helps make things not other um so basically this is another way for us to say uh reading can change the world and people should and do it that <laughs> as a proactive citizen yeah. You should really feel the draw that it's worth it to do the extra work for that. And you oftentimes yeah. find things that are really yeah. great. And one way you could do that, reader, is by following along with the books from the podcast. because You definitely, can read with us. It's definitely made a difference for us. and We it, feel a whole lot smarter. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like reading these, these books, which some of which are like challenging reads mm-hmm. and stretch us like both because of the content meant and because of the like uh, writing type of writing in the book or the structure. Um, it's challenged me to read hard. Like, even though it's like as a side effect, I want to read easy books in my other choices. But then I also feel like I have the ability to read complicated, hard mm-hmm. books for one reason or another outside of the podcast too, because I've stretched my reading muscles. It also makes me feel like I'm actively educating myself rather yeah. than just reading for enjoyment which I think is something that I value doing. Yeah. 
I feel like this segment may have come across as an intense, we're on our soapbox, look how good we're doing um, spiel. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not great. But it does. Yeah, we don't. We're like figuring this out as we go. And but this is the kind of stuff that books make us think about, I guess, is the answer. Well, and these are the kind of things that we think about to remind ourselves why what we're doing is important. Yes. Totally. So if that makes sense, it's not a preachy thing. It's a like, oh, yeah, I really like what we're doing. Like we're like, yeah, it makes me feel good yeah. to like to make this effort and the things I'm getting out of it worthwhile. So I hope other people can get yeah. those things out of it. Yeah, that's totally um, what it is. don't worry. I definitely on the side only read young adult lit and sit in my bed and eat like cereal in my bed and sleep in the crunchies. So like I'm not really <laughs> living like my best adult life. <laughs> if you want to feel good about yourself yeah yeah we're, we're falling apart in our own ways so like feel good about where you're at <laughs> um should we draw our book for next time yes dun, 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 dun. our book for next time is the jungle which i know this book oh, wait Do you know this i book? can tell you the author before you even what okay ready? upton sinclair yes have you read this book before no i just know the author <laughs> i know i know this book because i like learned about it in like high school american history that this is a book about... Oh, it's about uh, factories, right? Yeah, like it's about like slaughterhouses in the 1800s yeah. in America, and it like changed the like... God, it I basically way too excited for slaughter. Yeah, it basically created our like food, you know, safe food administration that we, as we know it today. And so it'll be fun to read a book that we, is familiar Ew, is to us. Is it going to gross us out? Quite possibly, but I already don't eat meat, so... <laughs> Great. This one's on you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to read a book that is familiar to us to follow because we've read a kind of yeah, a series of unfamiliar I'm excited ones. too. Um, while we're reading that book, and until next week, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 1001BooksPod or on Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast or, or email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with your questions and comments. And, and you can... Oh, you can... Okay. And <laughs> and uh, you can review the podcast, and that helps other people find us. Um, and we are so excited to continue this journey with you. So until next time, happy, happy reading. reading.